great to see everyone. How you doing? You enjoying the service so far? Great. Uh, we are in a new series and can't wait to get there. So glad that you're here with us at Grace. We just finished a series, Dumb Things Smart People Believed, and we talked about several things that people just kind of take uh, for granted that, that it's true and they're either not true or only partially true. But there are a bunch of things that we actually skipped, and that was any of those sayings that are partially true or untrue about the issue of suffering. And, and the reason we didn't address any of those in the last series is because we knew we were going to be in this series, and then today we begin that series, and it has to do with suffering. And, and that's a relevant topic for all of us, because in this world, if you live very long in it, there will be suffering. We see it all around us. We see uh, suffering in pandemics that kill people all over the world, or cancer, or disease. We see babies being born with disabilities. We see warfare, where not only do people die in warfare, but non-combatants always suffer collateral damage. It always happens, sometimes even intentionally. We see suffering everywhere we look. We see storms where, where people lose everything or they die. We see people starving. At, like a few weeks ago, we, we see children being blown up. There's suffering everywhere in our world, and some of you may be in the middle of suffering right now. And as we launch into this series, I, I don't want you to think that I think that I have experienced suffering like some of you have. I know some of you have experienced suffering way more, way, way more than anything that's ever touched my life. And so what about suffering? That really brings up so many questions because it's natural for us to ask why. And for people who are aware of God, the question of where's God in this? Why is this happening? Why me? How could God allow it to happen? And I'm here to tell you there's no book of the Bible. There's no piece of literature, ancient or modern, that addresses the question of suffering like the book of Job. No other book has the intellectual, philosophical, and personal integrity in dealing with this topic like the book of Job that we'll be studying for the next few weeks. And I know some of you are are in Job right now. We actually had a reading plan that, that a lot of people jumped in on. And if you're doing that, you'll notice I timed that exactly right where we're actually reading through Job right now. Now, actually, that was just a mistake, but it just happened, accident. But, uh, but we're right, right in the middle of Job now. Job may be the oldest book in the Bible. We know that it, as we look at all the evidence from Job that it seems to be set somewhere after the Tower of Babel maybe before the time of Abraham or, or during the time of Abraham. That's kind of when it's set. And of course, 
The first five books of the Bible that cover the earliest part of human history weren't written until Moses wrote. Well, Job would be before Moses. And, uh, and it's got some amazing truths for us. Job is quoted in the New Testament by Paul. Job is mentioned in the New Testament by James as an example. And we're reminded, as those guys mentioned, Job, get ready for suffering. Suffering will happen to us. Bad things are going to happen. Bad things will touch our lives. It's a real uplifting message so far, right? Bad things, are, it's, just, it's just part of life. And when the pain is severe enough, and when the suffering is deep enough, even we as believers turn to God and ask why. Why? And that's what this book is about. It's very interesting, and really just the opening of, of Job is significant, and that's all we're going to cover today. But it's interesting. Nobody really asks why people suffer when people do evil. If somebody does something terrible or wrong, and then they suffer for it, nobody asks the question why. If somebody makes terrible decisions, and they end up suffering for, for a series of terrible decisions, we don't ask why about that. And, and when people do evil things and end up suffering, we don't ask why. We kind of all figure like, yeah, that's kind of the way it should be. They, they got what they deserved. But the question that haunts us, the question that keeps us up at night, is why do good people suffer? Why do the best of us suffer? And, and that's the question that, that people deal with. And, and we all have different standards of good and all those things, but I'm just saying in general, when we see people who are living good, moral, upright lives, when they're sincerely following God, why do they suffer? And if you spend any time sharing the gospel with people, when you talk about Jesus, inevitably, this is the question that comes up. This may be the most problematic question that you deal with. Well, how can innocent people suffer? How can children suffer? How, how can God be all-powerful, that means he can control everything, and all-good, he only wants good for us. How can a God like that exist and, and suffering be happening that we see all over the world? And that's where the book of Job comes in. Because the book of Job has more questions than any other book of the Bible, and it all comes down to this, the question of why when it comes to suffering. And in this true story, we can learn a lot about suffering. But we need to get the foundation down in order to explore the depths of this book. And the book opens up talking about Job's reputation. So we're in Job 1, beginning with verse 1, and here's, here's what the author says. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. 
Seven sons and three daughters were born to him, and his possessions were also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, and that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So he, the book opens talking about the reputation of Job, which is kind of the main point. He's a great guy. He is a God-fearer. He follows God. He has a tremendous family. He's, he's wealthy. I mean, and then, of course, back then, in ancient times, wealth is not measured the way it is today with cars and houses and, and that kind of thing. But back then, it's all about livestock. And so, there's the list. He's, he's the wealthiest man in the East. He's the Bill Gates of his day. And no doubt, people were sitting around thinking, Wow, if I had what Job had, I wouldn't have any problems. If I had what Job had, I would have it made. If I had what Job had, I would be set for life. And that's, that's the kind of situation that he's got. But Job's greatest asset, Scripture points out here, is not his wealth. It's not his riches. It's his reputation. Did you see how it was described? Job is blameless and upright. This literally means he's complete and straight. He, he does things right. Now, this does not mean that Job was sinless. Every character that's mentioned in the book of Job, including Job himself, acknowledges that there's no sinful people. I'm sorry, no sinless people. So it's not saying that Job never sins. It's saying that he's upright in his character, that he lives his life with um, integrity is basically what's, what's happening here. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. This is Job. He's got it together. This is how he was known in his community. He's known for his integrity, known for helping people, we find out later. And, and then we kind of see where this flows from. The next, he fears God. And again, in, as so often in the Bible, Old Testament, New, when it says fear God, this is not like a slavish, cowering fear. This is a, a respect, a, upholding God, realizing who God is and who we are in relation to him and holding God in great esteem, awesome respect. He lives to follow God. He puts God in his rightful place. He puts God first. He lives his life with God in mind. And then flowing from that is he turns from evil. Job turns from evil. Job is not... He's not only worried about his own life and how he might have offended God even without knowing it, he's also worried about his children. They're feasting together. Probably the three daughters still live with him. The, the seven sons have places of their own. And when they're talking about eating and drinking, there's no 
impropriety that's mentioned in the text here. They're just kind of celebrating, and it's okay to celebrate that way. But Job is wondering as they get together and they have a great time that maybe, even unintentionally, they somehow have offended God in some way, done something wrong. So he gets up and he makes sacrifices for them just in case. He is dialed in. He's so blameless in his walk with God, that he's dialed into his children's walk with God, and he tries to make sure that that's exactly right. And it's not only the author that mentions Job's reputation. God backs up Job's reputation. God says that Job is all these things. And that, that makes a difference. A few times... You know, twice now I've mentioned my steps to the loft. And some of you guys are like, no, not the steps to the loft again. Yeah, the steps to the loft. You know, I got those done. And people have come up. I think I mentioned this last time and said, hey, you know, great job on the steps. And other people are like, what? you got to be kidding me. You know, and so, but the people who say great job, you know, hey, I appreciate that, right? But what if there is, what if we had a master craftsman and we may? We've got a lot of guys that can build some cool stuff, so who knows? But some of you guys, that, that, I mean, you can build anything with wood. I mean, you, you are a craftsman when it comes to cabinetry or whatever. And if one of you came up to me, hint, if one of you came up to me <laughs> and said, wow, those steps are great, that's amazing. You see, that would back up. That has not happened yet, but that, that would back up my reputation as a carpenter, see? Well, here Job is living his life blameless, but here we have God, perfect, holy, righteous God. He backs up Job's reputation. Look at verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, so get this, the scene changes we were on earth, and now there's kind of act two up in heaven behind the curtains. What Job can't see, here's what happens. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And check out what he says next. For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Here God doubles down on Job's reputation. He's saying Job is this. This is God saying this. I mean, we think, we think of the story of Job, right? How how Job's just this innocent guy who follows God and then Satan messes up his life. But look what's happening in the story. God brings Job up. Satan doesn't initiate this. God initiates this whole conversation about Job. God mentions Job first. And somehow in God's gracious sovereignty, he allows Satan to be among one of his angels, and they're singing praises to God. It's hard to even think about this. We know in the Bible there 
are in heaven, there are thunderous praises ringing out day and night around the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there's thunderous singing all the time. And then we have Satan some up there. He's in the, well, he's not singing. He's standing back. You know, he's probably in a corner somewhere. He's probably not enjoying all the praises. And then finally, because he's kind of an intruder, God says, what are you up to? Where have you been? What are you doing here? And he initiates this conversation. And that's the strange part of this. That's why it kind of doesn't make sense to us. It would almost be like if there was a thief in a jewelry store and it's the dead of night and he's coming in, he's got a little pin light and, and he's looking around and he's trying to steal some diamonds and all of a sudden in the dark he bumps into somebody and it's the owner and the owner's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm here to steal diamonds. And the owner says, well, did you see the most expensive diamonds? They're over in that case over there. Here's the key. I mean, this, this opens up and we're going, what's going on? God, why would you mention Job to him? Because look how it breaks out. It's so strange to us. It, it's like, is, is God setting Job up? But the picture that we have is that because of Job's life and because of his reputation, that God is, is proud of Job. It, it's almost like he's bragging on Job. If God can brag, I don't know how that works. God is pleased with Job. He beams over Job. And there's no one like him on the earth, he says. Crazy scene, right? Satan before the throne of God. Where you been? Roaming around on the earth, up to no good. Well, have you considered Job? You ever wonder? If Satan has access to the throne room now, what God would say about me or you? What if our name came up in the conversation? What would our reputation be in the throne room of God? Would we feel God's pleasure like that? Would we feel God's favor? Would God be talking about us? Would God be saying, yeah, here's a person who lives upright before me. What would our reputation would be? How would that go? What are we known for? How are we known at school or at the office or at work? Or in our homes, among our family. What's our reputation? What are we living for? What's the point of our life? What's our goal? To be a good dad? To be successful? To be a great mom? To be a man's man? What's our life all about? Or maybe it's a hobby that we spend a lot of time doing, so we're the experts on this. We can tie a fly like nobody can tie a fly. You know, what, what is it? What's our reputation? 
Or is it reliving? You know, our high school athletic days, wow, those were the glory days, you know. If I didn't blow out my knee, I'd be still be doing that. A few years ago, I went back to a reunion, high school reunion in Pueblo. And uh, there was kind of like an evening get-together, kind of a mixer before the thing the next day. And, and so I went, and I was talking to some people, and, and a guy came up to me, and he's like, Kevin Pinkerton. Like, you know, and I knew him, a hard-to-forget guy. And, uh, and we're talking together. And, and then when several people came around, he goes, man, you know what I remember? I remember in junior high wrestling, I stuck you to the mat one time. And we've just skipped high school. We've gone, okay, we're old, you know, already. But it's not that high school has been enough. He skips high school and goes to junior high. And, I'm like, and I have no recollection of this. I'm like, but I don't doubt it. And I'm like, wow, okay, wow. And he goes, yeah, I still have the tournament sheet on my wall in my house. And it says, I stuck you. I'm like, wow. I mean, is that what we're known for? What is it? What's our claim to fame? What are people going to say when he dies? Or they say, yeah, he's the guy that pinned Kevin. That's not that big of a deal. In junior high. But that's how we live our lives sometimes. What are they going to say when you die? What's your reputation going to be? Wow, she made great pies. I mean, is that it? That's great. I love pie. He was an amazing Browns fan. Wow. I mean, that's okay. But is that what you're known for? What's your reputation? Because it matters to God, and it should matter to us right now. I mean, these are good things. What would God say about us today? What would our friends say, our family? And there's a lot of good things that people can say, but don't base your life on temporary fleeting things that have no eternal value Line up your life with what's most important. That's not what God wants you to build your life on. That's not what God wants your reputation to be. God wants you to be someone who's known for following him. Someone who lives their life for something greater than themselves. That's what God has called all of us as believers to. And that's God, what God wants for every unbeliever that's sitting here or watching online. Live for something bigger than yourself. Have a reputation that God appreciates. Because you might need it. It will be noticed. Even Satan knows Job's reputation. It's not just Job. It's not just the author. It's not just the friends of Job that we find out about later. Even Satan in heaven, he knows who Job is. He describes Job's life to God. 
Now, Satan was originally one of God's angels. Do we get this? Satan and demons, they were originally created as angels through pride. Satan led them in a rebellion, was cast out of heaven. Here we see that they have limited access. And through that pride was really to be in opposition to God. Satan's not equal. God, Satan is a created being. And then we wonder, why does Satan even allow God to exist? Why does God, boy, I said that wrong. Why does God, God created Satan. Let's be clear here. Why does God even allow Satan to exist? I mean, why? We don't know, but we start unpacking a little of that in this book. Notice how it picks up here in verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job not fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. That's what Satan says to God. Strangely, Satan and God agree on something here. And that is this, if you're serving God for the things you receive, you're not serving God at all, you're serving self. If you're a God follower because you just want to experience God's temporal blessings in your life, so things will go well with you, you'll have money, your family go, if that's, if that's the only reason, both God and Satan know, even Satan knows, That your whole lip service of following God is really just self-serving. It's for you. You're actually serving yourself. Now, I don't mean to say you can't enjoy success. Yeah, if you have success, enjoy it. That's great. There's nothing wrong with it. Just don't live for it. It's not enough. It's not enough. Unless you serve God for God. And not for stuff. You're building your life on the wrong things. And that's Satan's challenge to God. And that sets up this tension in the book. Is Job a real servant of God or not? Because Satan's out to destroy Job's reputation as someone who fears God. Scripture says that Satan is our accuser before God night and day in Revelation. Satan wants our destruction, wants to hurt us. And he is powerful, but God limits his power. Peter writes this in, in 1 Peter 5.8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's what Peter wrote. Remember, before he wrote that, Jesus talked to Peter and said to him, you know what? Satan desires to have you, to sift you like wheat. Peter understood what's going on here. Satan initiates the suffering and the evil. 
God brings up Job. Then Job brings up the suffering and the evil. And then here's the, here's, here's the hook. Here, back to Job. What happens next? It's right here. Satan, are you seeing the tension? Satan accuses Job of following God for the things that God gives him. And by the way, there's sort of an underhanded accusation here that's not stated, which is Satan's accusing God of bribing Job to follow him. So that's what's happening. That's the whole point here. Job's just serving you because you've protected him and you've made him wealthy. That's why Job serves you. Then, with all this tension in the air, God does something that from our perspective is unthinkable. I mean, it's God then gives Satan the green light. Satan's saying, if Job suffered, he wouldn't follow you. If you took everything away from him, stripped him down to nothing, he would curse you to your face. And then God, instead of just saying, get out of here, kicking him out, go away, God gives Satan the green light. And that's in the next verse, in verse 12. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. This is the whole thing. This is the hinge that the, the whole book hangs on. And we're, we're going, what? This doesn't seem right. What's going on, God? What's happening? Why would you do this? Job is a good man. Even God says Job's a good man. He should not suffer. And that's the point of the whole book. That's the setup. A good man suffering. That's what we question. That's what we understand. That's what we don't get. And we're left with this. Will it become evident? That Job values his possessions, his stuff, his family more than God? Or will it become evident that Job values God more than anything else? And we're left with that. How will he respond? What's going to happen next? Come back next Sunday. <laughs> and we're going to figure that out. God is concerned with your reputation today. For those who are believers here, God is concerned with how you live. God is concerned with your reputation right now. Are you living for Him? Do you fear Him? Are you living for something more than yourself? Or are you just giving lip service to God that you say you serve him, and, and maybe you do, but really your motive for serving God is only for the stuff that he will give you, only for the blessings that you'll have during this life, that you'll be comfortable. Because if that's true, if that's your motivation, you're only serving yourself not God. And we're going to get into what happens next. 
next Sunday. But before we do that, don't miss this most important aspect right here. It's all about his reputation. If he wasn't so good, we wouldn't be asking why. If he wasn't so blameless, he wouldn't be asking why. Good people suffer. Even good people suffer. And we need the relationship with God, serving God for Him, living for something greater than ourselves. We need that kind of a relationship with Him for us to carry through. For us to bear up with what's inevitably coming in our life. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we come to you humbly. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you. You've blessed us, especially us in this country. You've blessed us with so much. God, we as believers here pray that we would never serve you for us, that we would never serve you for what you do for us, what you give us, but God, that we would serve you for you. Lord, that we would have a reputation of putting you first. Lord, that we would impact the people all around us for you, the people who like us, the people who don't like us, the people we work with, the people we live with, the people that are all around us every day, that they see us wanting to serve, glorify, and praise you. And that we want them to see you too. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.